Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. everybody and welcome to the latest man in the post-european podcast i'm your host james Rowe, and once again i'm joined by my partner in crime scott Monroe. scott good evening how are you good evening james i'm very well how are you very well thank you um uh, i'm pleased to all my fellow gooners that become ix fans tonight ahead of Tottenham ix it was very nice to speak to uh love sport uh, radio today as well as talk sport in previous weeks regarding ix and uh, we we're going to start our podcast tonight in our predictions of the Champions League semi-finals and the Europa League semi-finals by discussing events in North London tonight between Amsterdam's finest and Tottenham Hotspur. What are your thoughts on this match, Scott? Um, it's a game I've been really looking forward to since the weekend. Um, it's I managed to watch a bit of Spurs last week. I didn't watch the game on Saturday because I was actually at a game myself. I was at a, a little bit of a local derby and missed the Tottenham West Ham game. So I watched the top the about seventy to seventy five minutes of the Tottenham Brighton game and I just see that Tottenham struggled to break down a low block of Brighton who just wanted to eke out a result and just defend, defend and defend and they were what two minutes away plus stoppage time until uh, an ex IX player broke their hearts with Christian Eriksen and this season I've been blown away about about Ajax uh, it's the story of the Champions League this year it, they've been phenomenal and I'm really looking forward to today, tonight's match and the next couple of weeks in the Eredivisie because their next league game isn't for another two and a bit weeks because of the weekend their their game's been called off and is it the Dutch Cup final this weekend as well? It's the Dutch Cup final this Sunday where they play Willems Vey who have had a trim they're on a fantastic vein of form Willems Vey and uh, they will cause problems I think I think that could well go to extra time that final and then the last round of fixtures is um, you've got the 12th of May it's a mid- midweek isn't it? The last uh, round. Yeah, the last round of fixtures is on the 15th. Ajax play at, at home to FC Utrecht on Sunday the 12th. And then they go away to the Schaafstab, who are battling, fighting for their lives, on the 15th. So, in theory, you have the 33rd round of matches being played as the last round of matches. A little bit strange. Uh, there was a lot, an awful lot of um, criticism from many teams, from many players, um, saying about you know diff- for different interests, but you can understand why the Dutch FA have done it. And um, we're not going to know how it's all going to work out until everything pans out. You know the the, the Dutch um, Europa um, European playoffs are also going to be put back. The Dutch promotion relegation um, playoffs are also going to be put back. So it's going to be it's going to have a real knock on effect for many many clubs. 
But uh, first and foremost, tonight in London for Ajax, they um, they've only they've only not managed to score away from home in every Champions League away game this year in Kiev in the playoff round. Apart from that, they've scored in every single away game. Um, I think that they're going to be full of vigor. They're going to be full of fight. They're led by a a once-in-a-generation player in Matthias de Ligt, and I've stated on this pod, he's already better than Van Dijk. Uh, but that's just my personal opinion. And, uh, you know, to have leadership, I mean, I don't know what you were doing at 19. I know at 19 I was going to the Arsenal, just about come here, and then life changed. And he's as a 19-year-old, is captain in the biggest club in the country to the first Champions League semi-final, uh, since 1997 and a potential final for the first time since 1995 it's amazing it's amazing what that club has gone through in the last yeah. 10 months plus yeah. last season with the uh, the Nuri incident absolutely and you have to if I can just elaborate on that as well you also have to feel for the now sporting manager Marcel Geyser because he was given that job because the board has as much faith in as uh, had as much faith in him is what they do, Eric Ten Hag. Exactly the same in terms of faith, in terms of wanting everything to go well. And there were difficult results for Marcel Kaiser, including draws and getting knocked out of the cup and um, suffering defeat at the hands of Campbell Leobard and, and not even qualifying for Europe. They were knocked out in the, in the qualifying rounds by Rosenborg. And I was at the home match where they lost 1-0 and it was just... Uh, you would think, nah, there's, there's something's wrong here. But I think the the tragedy with Norway really set the tone. But uh, Eric Ten Hag is um, he's really um, coming into his own now. You know, he was uh, manager of Bayern Munich reserve side. He was um, manager of Go Ahead Eagles. He was assistant to Steve McLaren. And you know, he's it's been muted that he would like a top job in Germany. Well, I think if this story has an happy happy ending he's basically going to get one. So he just goes to show how quickly it can change. He's, I've spoken to players. I spoke to Kevin Conboy, who played under him, the Danish left-back, when they were at Utrecht together, Den Haag's former club. And he said that he's just a football genius, where his an, 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 uh, analysis and, um, and just fine detail is just... Like he always seems to be a step ahead, and it's uh, it's just fantastic tonight for a country of 17.2 million to have a uh, a team in a Champions League semi-final of mainly all Dutch players, a few experienced, and a Dutch manager. You know, this club is a is an institution where one in four people in the Netherlands support Ajax. Uh, I'll give you an example. I had to make a call today to a customer care line, and um, before the before the lady put the phone down on me, she said, good luck for tonight. <laughs> and that just goes to show you how much the club means to the city, mm. where I am just ringing a customer care line to make a general inquiry about something in this city. And when wishing, when wishing me a nice evening, she says, uh, enjoy the match too. So the whole city is really up for it. Everybody's really looking forward to it. But um, yeah, I think you can't get too carried away. I think on the flip side of it, Obviously, I've got to take my Arsenal hat off and remain as professional and neutral as I possibly can, as I always am. For me, Hugo Lloris, I've always said he's world-class. Yes, he doesn't have his... Sometimes he has lapses in concentration, but I've rated him since his knees days. I really have. And I think if he has a, a real, real good game where he keeps almost everything out... I mean, I watched him play for 
Leon against Real Madrid in 2010 where I was behind the goal. And I thought to myself, well, when he's sitting in the Bernabeu and he saved about 95 shots, I think. Yeah, something along that line. Was that? You know, every shot he seemed to... And I thought to myself, is it a cat or is it a human being? Because he was right in the top corner, right, bottom left, top left, everywhere he was. And I think... Kieran Trippier's had a very good season as well. I think I think Napoli were rumoured to be Napoli have been linked with him, yeah, because it looks like Hassai is leaving. Yeah, well, that would be wonderful, isn't it? I mean, he was rejected by Man City at a very young age, and he, I think he's done really well to fight back. You know, he was in the Championship team of the year with Burnley before they come up. And I remember going to the Emirates to watch him play uh, when Arsenal played Burnley in Burnley's debut season in the Premier League under Daesh. And uh, Arsenal won three 0 but he uh, he seemed to have an eye on Sanchez and, and be able to keep hold of him for the majority of the game. And um, my prediction for this match, Scott, is a is a one one draw. I was going to say the same thing on that Leon Real Madrid game you went to. Is that the same game when Marilyn Pjanic scored the winner right yeah. at the end? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I've never seen, I've never experienced a silence like it. Never. Yeah, it was an the amazing silence goal. was absolutely deafening. It was just. You know, Real Madrid was in a stage where they couldn't crack it. They seemed to think that everything was going to be fine. They lost in Lyon, and everyone thought, no, it's going to be okay. And and uh, Loris was fantastic. They were managed by Club well, and uh, yeah, it was a real. Um, it was a trim- It was a something. One of my footballing experiences that I'll never really forget, because you don't expect. Real Madrid to be knocked out of their own competition, if you like, in their own backyard by a team such as Leon, managed by Claude Puel. I think with the, I think it's just my personal opinion, but I think Southampton and Leicester have been quite disingenuous to him, particularly Southampton when he got them to a cup final. And um, yeah, it just uh, shows you how quickly things can change. And um, yeah, I just think that um, I just think Hugo Lloris as well. When you've got a goalkeeper who's that fine-tuned and tuned in, I think he's going to make a lot of saves. And I said when I spoke to Love Sport Radio this evening, you know, this match will be won in Amsterdam next Wednesday, and I stick by that. I I would agree. Is there any players that uh, will catch your eye tonight for Ajax? Uh, Hakim Ziyech. Um, he's had a tremendous season. He's, uh, he's been he's, everything which has been good. He's been at the heart of it. Obviously, Frankie de Jong, is uh, well known with his um, with his uh, move to Barcelona and his timing and he's he's, he's, he's so uh, he's got no inhibitions. He's uh, he just plays and always plays with a smile on his face. Tagliafico as well. He's provided such great width and he was really a, a shining light in their debut season or his debut season when they had the difficulty uh, with Nori. Uh, Tagliafico was their best player, but. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a real interesting game, and um, yeah, it'll be uh, the whole of Amsterdam is uh, is looking forward to it. The whole city is buzzing, and uh, I think next um, next Wednesday, I, I don't know if I have a temptation to wear my Arsenal shirt and where to work. Next <laughs> I don't know if I have. I have a maybe. I, I'll probably you know you, you have a few moments where you think, nah, don't be stupid. But especially on the journey back, I feel like whipping it out of my rucksack and putting it on. I really, really do, and I live near the stadium now. I mean, you could say, "Don't be daft." You're asking for trouble, but I'm sure I'll just—I'm sure I'll think of something. But uh, 
yeah, we'll just um, you have to on this podcast. It's all about remaining professional, but it's always about having a bit of a laugh and a joke mm. as well. So uh, we'll just have to see how things go. I will say uh, for anyone watches the game site, watch out for Ziyech because um, mm. Roma were in from last season, but Monchi, who's now at uh, Sevilla, chose Javier Pastore instead. But um, Pastore's just come back from injury and scored at the weekend. But I would have loved Ziyech in. Roma colours and I'll also point out watch out for David Neres tonight I think he yeah. could have a special game he's so quick and to think there he was there was rumours that he was going to be sold to China for the big money and yeah there was rumours and it appeared that it was going to happen and then all of a sudden it didn't happen but you know there's a real there's a real steal about this team um, if you're asking me for question marks possibly Onana yes he does have his moments he turned down Olympic Marseille. Uh, I think it was last summer. He didn't want to go there. And he's talking about a potential move uh, away from Ajax this summer. Uh, if I could just elaborate on CH, he received an awful lot of criticism for choosing Morocco above the Netherlands. But he was completely honest and needs to be respected for his choice because his father is also buried in Morocco. Oh. And he has feelings. he has feelings towards the country uh, and he he wants to represent them and he enjoys representing them. And I think because the Netherlands were so hurt that he's the best, uh, it was the best player in the Netherlands and he didn't choose to, to play for the Netherlands. It's a very sensitive subject, but you're talking about the same country who tried to attract Marco Asensio to play for the Netherlands when he can't speak Dutch, has no feeling to the Netherlands whatsoever, has hardly been in the Netherlands and the only fact is that his mother's Dutch. And his mother unfortunately passed away when he was very, very young. So I think the, the Dutch FA were clutching at straws in the period where it didn't appear that the best thing was happening and they couldn't really get the fruits of their loins. But in the case of... Uh, it comes in waves, you know, it comes in and good players and infrastructure. And, you know, I saw an interview with Van Gaal earlier on today where he said, you know, when... When um, the uh, when failure to qualify for Euro 2016 and, 2000, and the World Cup in 2018, everybody was questioning a root and branch. And now look, just staying calm, staying relaxed. They're on the verge of potentially reaching a uh, Champions League final. Mm. And potentially a treble. Potentially, but let's not get carried away. Yeah, of away. course, of course. Let's, the priority is the league. Should they not win the league, they will... Uh, not have won the league for five years. Willems Vey were relegation candidates up until Christmas and then have had a tremendous turn in form and also Champions League as well. I do. I just hope for these players that they do win something because I can understand Frenkie de Jong moving to Barcelona but my honest opinion, Scott, Barcelona only brought him because so that nobody else could have him. And if you look at the flip side of it, Sillison has been playing for Barcelona now for three years. He's only playing in cup games and dead rubbers and he's desperate to move away from Barcelona. The last thing you want is Flanky de Jong to go the same way. People will talk about talent. Oh, that was never going to happen. But we all know the type of club that Barcelona are in terms of politics and what goes, ha- what goes on behind the scenes. And yes, Flanky de Jong is a tremendous player, but going away to Utrecht, to Graafschap and Venlo and Fortuna Sittard is completely different to going away to Mastaya, Anoeta, Wanda Metropolitano. So he's going to have to really 
toughen up. I think he's physically got to bulk up as well because that league is just relentless. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I just hope this group of players win something because it will be a crying shame for them not to. Yeah, it'll be a crying shame because you know that that type of player, those, those players will get ripped apart and the club will get ripped apart like what Monaco did a couple of years ago. But the the difference between Ajax and Monaco is that's the model of Ajax is yeah. always giving someone a chance. In the case of Monaco, they Monaco have always had a tremendous youth policy, always. But it's very rarely been utilised as one unit, as one important core of a certain manager's ethos. Very rarely has that happened. I think it happened under Wenger. I think it happened under Puel, and I think it happened under Jardim. Apart from that, I can't remember it happening. Um, potentially Deschamps as well when he was manager there but um, in the case of Ajax it's just it's they have young Ajax the, the, the youth team that play in the Dutch first division managed by the former right back Michael Eisenhower and um, yeah so it's an ethos they're not scared it's about I mean you look at who they've already brought for next season. It's very impressive. They've signed uh, Kielsha Schellepen, who uh, is the young goalkeeper from Emmen, who's had a, who are up in the Dutch league for the first time in their history. And they may well just survive, but he's had a tremendous season. Kick Beardy uh, from Heerlen Fane, who was born in Boston, by the way. Oh. Um, he he is uh, he's fully fledged. Dutch, of course, but was born in Boston. In just thought I'd throw in that, that fun fact. Kick Beardy is a fantastic uh, defender. So even if they do, even if I, I, Matthijs de Ligt does leave, to have a centre-back pairing in the Netherlands next year for Ajax of Kick Beardy and Per Schuurs is a very, very good centre-back partnership. So they'll, they'll be OK. I just hope, as I said on, on Love Sport Radio today, that people say, oh, de Ligt leaving to Barca, always oh, following the young... De Ligt is completely a complete one-off. He's not going to go somewhere because his mate goes somewhere. He's not going to go somewhere because his agent tells him to go somewhere. I am absolutely convinced, and I stand by it, I've been saying it for about three or four months now, Scott, that he will surprise everybody with his next choice of club. And um, people are calling me crazy on Twitter saying, you don't know this, you don't know that. But I'm not being funny. People criticising me like that don't interview professional players and managers like I do, do they? So you've got to take the rough with a smooth. Mm. But um, be, I just hope with Captain Fantastic that he can do, uh, that he's, his team can win because that will also enhance him as a player as well. <clears throat> Completely agree. Can't, can't follow that. Can't follow that. No, OK, well, we're now going to move on. If I, I'll just give a quick heads up to the listeners. That might have been a little bit of an extended um, preview on IX, but obviously one of us who does the podcast tonight lives in the city and works in the city and has watched the club firsthand for more than a decade. So obviously you've got to take the opportunity, along with the radio work being done, to speak a little bit more about it, to give uh, people even more information. We're now going to move on to Barcelona, who host Liverpool in the Camp Nou, in the other semi-final, Suarez coming up against uh, old teammates. What's your take on Barcelona Liverpool, Scott? Um, I'm. This could be a very cagey affair, but this is all about for me. It's going to be about how Barcelona's defence, which has been absolute stunning this season. I think people over here. I think I saw a clip last week saying that um, Barcelona's defence was quite poor, but they do have Gerard Piquet and one of the best young defenders in Spain in Clement. 
Ramon Langley. And just think, Sammy Mimtiti can't even get a game at the moment for Barcelona's defence. I just think that this game is going to be Liverpool's attack versus Barcelona's defence, which is going to be interesting. And also it's going to be, as they're all going to say, it's going to be Messi versus Van Dijk. And just how that Liverpool defence copes with the trio of, uh, it could be Coutinho, um, Suarez and Leo Messi. Who, Leo Messi's just been unreal this season. It's just, it's just going to be an intriguing game of Ernesto Valverde, who, beg, under beggar's belief, is still getting absolute dogs abuse by Barcelona fans on social media, but has delivered them again another La Liga title versus Jurgen Klopp, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a very enthralling two games to watch. Yes, we spoke about Valverde in his time, particularly at Olympiacos, and I just think it's certain people not liking his personality, but since when has charisma been a prerequisite to manage certain clubs? Is it, are we, have we now reached the stage where charisma is more important than talent and ability? Yeah, and yeah, managed to get a set of game plan and some tactics and yeah. the winning mentality at the club. Yeah. Well, um, Barcelona is, is, is well known as a, as a difficult club and a club that go, where a lot goes on behind the scenes where you're never really going to get everybody on the side. I mean, the dog's abuse that Eikard got towards the end of his reign, you know, this is a, this is a manager that, that gave them their first European Cup win in 14 years. And uh, towards the end of his reign, he was completely lambasted. So I think... Um, I think fans in general, you know, they don't know how good they've got it and what they actually want. But uh, I say to that, let them get on with it. And um, I think you make a great point about Longley. You know, he had a he had a spell at Sevilla yeah, before last he went, season, yeah. And and that done him the world of good. I often wonder. I remember, I remember Frankie de Jong saying, "Oh, maybe maybe a step to a, a middle type Spanish club would be the best thing for me." And I thought, yes, it would be. And but obviously he's going in at the deep end. Um, I think that uh, this match is also going to be a 1-1 draw. And um, like you say, the attack against defence, but I just think we're reaching the business end now where so much is um, at stake, where these games really kick into life in the second leg with away goals and everything at stake and the emotion. And, you know, Liverpool don't have a poor record in Barcelona I think they beat them in 2007 I think they knocked them out yes the infamous John Arnarisa Craig Bellamy yeah. golf club celebration incident yeah yeah what a place to do it <laughs> yeah and um, I just think that I think Barca will just be aware I mean they, they had difficulty at home this year to the likes of um, Levante Leo Betis uh, struggling against uh, Atletico as well before Messi came on um, you know, it's a team game which we know only too well, and I just think that my prediction in this case will be one-one. I'm, I'm with you because we we both said uh, via direct messenger on Twitter that both these Champions League games will be draws. I'm with you, and I think as the previous game, this game will be one at Anfield next week. Okay, well, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. We're now going to move on to the Europa League. And Arsenal against Valencia. I, normally, I've been attending Europa League matches this season, as listeners will know. But unfortunately, due to circumstances here in the Netherlands with things that are happening, um, I will be missing only my second Europa League home game on Thursday. And um, I'm not too disheartened. You know, I've been very lucky to see 10 matches from the Netherlands this season. So, can't complain too much. But I think I will miss the sense of occasion. But... Um, 
Arsenal are coming up against the Valencia side who have only lost 11 out of 54 who have reached the Copa del Rey final and only conceded three goals for the first time this season in a single match last Wednesday away to Atletico. Um, I believe that Arsenal will slightly underestimate Valencia who will be ready. They're very excited. I've been watching a few of Marcelino's press conferences. Marcelino was the manager of Villarreal when they reached the semi-final of this competition and they were knocked out by Liverpool, I believe, in 2016, mm. if my memory serves me rightly. Yeah, 4-0. And, um, yeah, and I just think that, um, having won the first leg as well, I, and I, yes. just think, um, I just think that um, coming off the back of three domestic defeats, uh, I think that this game is going to be a lot more difficult than what people think it's going to be. Again, uh, with the likes of Guedes, Paulista, Parejo, and also Neto, the Brazilian goalkeeper, who is viewed as one of the, um, along with Oblak, to be one of the, the best goalkeepers in the league. I know that people are saying, oh, Emery used to manage Valencia, but it's, it's a different, it's a different Valencia to what he managed. You know, they were, they were just coming off um, the the financial uh, constraints when Kuman was spending money like water, and then the the um, Infamous Gary Neville uh, appointment, which still baffles me to this day. But Marcelino seems to have found a really good fit. And obviously, um, with Arsenal's back line being how it is, um, I also think this match is going to be a draw. And I'm not trying to be monotonous, and we're not on auto-tone listeners, but I'm also going to go for 1-1. I think it'll be a 1-1 draw at the Emirates. And and similar to what we were saying in the uh, Champions League, you know, these, these games will be won. In the second leg, but Arsenal's record against Spanish club Scott is absolutely appalling. I mean, it's like a who's who of Spain that we've lost to. You know, Deportivo La Coruña, Mallorca, Zaragoza, Valencia, Atletico, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Sevilla. We've lost to all these Spanish teams at some point in our history in European competition, and you'd hope that the tide the tide would turn. But with the second leg being in the Mestalla. And um, Co- Coquelin's not in at the first leg. I saw a lot of Arsenal fans saying, yeah, Coquelin's coming back. Well, as far as I'm aware, he's, he's suspended. So he won't be taking part. But um, I just think uh, we can't get too ahead, ahead of ourselves. If people moan about the away goal being scored, then uh, I, I give up, really, because we've reached a stage where people don't even celebrate victories anymore. It's, oh, no, we considered an away goal. And what? You won. That's the most important thing. Arsenal have got to learn the lessons from the Atletico Madrid semi-final around about this time last year where we didn't win, went to Madrid and just kind of wilted like a flower. It's about time to stand up tall and fight and um, it's a game of 90 minutes where substitutions will play a huge part but if I'm brutally honest I think it's going to be 1-1. I think Valencia might add to Arsenal Arsenal's woes um, especially if Mustafi coming up against his, his old club he's not had the best couple of weeks has he James no but I'm, I've watched that team 10 times live Scott they can't communicate they cannot verbally communicate now when I say that people look at me like I'm an alien people look at me as if I'm an idiot for example, when I went to Arsenal Cardiff and said it on Arsenal Fan TV and people didn't appear to understand. What language does, what common language does a, a Greek, Englishman, Frenchman and a German speak? Well, it um, doesn't, when Arsene, Arsene Wenger was there, he wanted his players to speak English. 
You know, but my question now is what common language does our back five speak? You've got a Greek, a German, an Englishman and a Frenchman. I played in defence, not at any high level, mainly just for fun. But defending is collective. If a cross is coming over and you hear your teammate say something, it could be something reassuring. It could be man on. It could be, I got it. Don't worry about it. We've spoken before about the... Uh, Bonucci Chiellini and uh, Rodina Jimenez and just the simplicity of just raising your hand in some cases is just I got this you're fine and it just appears that I mean I, I saw Maitland Niles in the defeat at Everton basically screaming someone come and help me now obviously he's doing that because obviously he's frustrated that he can't say to his fellow player what are you doing there Come in, tuck inside with me, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And it's very disheartening. And I was, I'm, I always try to be positive as regards to Arsenal. And uh, Unai Emery's done a very good job to take over from someone for 22 years. And I'm more than happy to give him a second season, which he's actually signed for. You won't hear me saying sack Emery anytime soon. But one thing, Scott, as well, you know, the, the back line has to be the fulcrum, you know, you have to be difficult to beat, everybody has to communicate, everybody has to be ready. And that back line in particular is just so comfortable. I mean, I saw Koscielny inviting Jamie Vardy onto him the other That's day. That's not good. Is, That's not a very Koscielny, good idea. Koscielny is no spring chicken and he ne- he, Koscielny is not and never has been world class. Never. Never. But because he's played over 250 times for Arsenal, he must be. Because he's the best of a bad bunch, he must be. You know, Arsenal dip into the youth team. You know, uh, Daniel Ballard will be capped by Northern Ireland. Yet to make an appearance for Arsenal, but likely to be capped by his country. That tells you how good he is. Put him in. Uh, Charlie Gilmore, Ben Sheaf. You know, give a, give, buying is not the only solution. And as I say, when you have... Um, when you have players from, from here to Timbuktu to all over the world, you've got to have a collective uh, understanding. What does matter what job you're doing, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a dustman, whether you're a, a council leader, it doesn't matter. If you can't communicate with your fellow colleagues, you're in big trouble. Mm. And I just think that in the case of Unai Emery, he's done his damnedest to learn the best English that he can learn in a short space of time. And you get people saying, oh, he's English, is rubbish, blah, blah, blah. I bet the people that criticise his language skills can't speak another language, can they? But that's just my personal uh, opinion. I agree, I'm, I'm, I agree. I'm, I'm lucky, I'm lucky I can. And I'm including that of Emery's. But I'm, so I know what it's like to have to learn another language. I know how hard it is. It's one of the hardest things you can, have to, you can undertake. And you have to fight like a warrior. And you have to never give up. And I just think that some of the players have just been so comfortable under the, particularly the defence, so comfortable under under Wenger that when Unai Emery has asked them to do something, they can't do it because nobody was ever asking them before. Right, I want you to go from playing four four two to three five two. I want you to tuck in with him. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And you know we're we're in danger now of the season slipping away a little bit. It would be amazing to win our first European trophy in 25 years it really would it would be something really special it would really cap a fantastic debut season but if I'm brutally honest Scott when I saw the the squad for the Europa League knockout phase 
the first thing that came to my mind was it's too light and I'm sticking to it it's too light and uh, it would be nice to reach a final but if I'm brutally honest it's, I don't think it's going to happen but uh, you never know stranger things have happened I will say this but Valencia's form is the, they've had a very hit and miss season where they drew a lot of games yes. and then they go and win quite a few and then they hit, have hit a rocky patch at the moment and they lost 1-0 to Ibar when uh, Brazilian Spanish striker Charles scored right at the end um, yeah, in, in ninety third yes. plus plus plus, and mm-hmm. I just uh, like last midweek they went to Atletico and lost three two, and they were quite unlucky. And yeah, but with yeah, they they fought back from one 0 down yeah, to two one down and got as well. To in the, yeah, in the home leg, in the home matches in La Liga, of all the ones they've played now, I think they've, they've got two or two left to play. They've won six. Uh, they've uh, won six, lost two, and drawn the best, as you say. And uh, you know, Arsenal have got to try to take something to the Mustafa, but can't. I mean, I saw the facial expressions of Mustafi and, uh, and Cristiano and Socrates the other day. Socrates, it was like he was hanging from the crossbar. You could also take Jamie Vardy out if you want to. Okay, you'll get sent off and concede a penalty, but if top four does come down to goal difference, you know. It could be it could be that. You know, Obama Young missed a penalty in the North London Derby in the dying stages seems to be forgotten about. Seems to be forgotten about. And that was crucial. Uh, yeah, but exactly. I mean, Arsenal spent sixty five million quid on Obama Young when they needed a centre half and a central def- uh, a central a central midfielder. And then you get Obama Young saying, Oh delight proud to be your last signing boss and all that rubbish. Who cares? If they were as active on the pitch as what they are on social media Unai Emery should give them a social media ban. Ban them from social media. Ban them, until, ban them from social media until they pick that cup up in Baku and prove to the next generation of Arsenal fans that Arsenal can win in Europe again. So that's, that's what I say. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm starting, my fan head's starting to rear, so I've got to be as objective as possible. We're now going to move on to um, to our, our last uh, semi semi-final, which is one of the surprises of the Europa League and a team that I've tipped to reach the final and potentially win this competition this year and it wouldn't be unjust or undeserved and that's Eintracht Frankfurt who are playing home to Chelsea. What, what's your thoughts on this one, Scott? This Eintracht Frankfurt team, like Ajax, um, I put a tweet out not so long ago, I said the Ajax story is... Uh, it's been the story of the Champions League and I'm saying Eintracht Frankfurt is the story of the, uh, the Europa League this season. They've been phenomenal. Um, I watched them against Inter Milan and my God, they were absolutely outstanding in the San Siro. Backed with 13,000 and I think there was even more in the city of Milan um, for the tie. They were outstanding. They just sat back, soaked up all the pressure and they could have hit Inter for five or six they just they just broke with will. Um, Jovic, Halla, Rebic, absolutely unreal this season. Their their form in the Bundesliga has took a dip recently due to I think the commitments of uh, the Europa League. Saying they drew uh, with against Hertha at the weekend, where Hertha were down to ten men for like the last ten minutes. The previous week they drew against Wolfsburg, and then on the fourteenth they lost at home to Augsburg, but. They have, they might have a, um, a saying for the running of the uh, the Bundesliga because on the final day of the season they're at home to uh, they're away to uh, Bayern Munich. 
that could be a feather in the cap of uh, Dortmund. Indeed. And uh, who, uh, you know, obviously with Nuremberg drawing at home to Bayern. And, uh, Schalke. Um, yeah, I fully concur with this Antonio Frankfurt team. For me, I knew they had some very good players, but what made me sit up and take notice was the uh, way they absolutely blitzed a group with Lazio and Marseille, yeah, last year's finalists. Not just getting through it, blitzing it. I think they won every single game. Yeah, six out of six. Six out of six. It doesn't happen in the Champions League. It doesn't happen in the Europa League very often. When it does happen, it needs to be lauded. And then in the knockout phase, Donetsk winning, winning Donetsk quite comfortably. And then Inter and then Benfica. You know, everybody seems to think that the Benfica match after the game in Lisbon was finished. I knew Frankfurt were going to turn it around. I was convinced. And um, they really deserve to go through. I think the dynamic of having the second leg in London, I think that's, you know, they had that second leg in, um, had second leg in Milan. So they've, they know what it's like to win in, in big, in big, uh, on big stages. I'm confident that Frankfurt will win this game. And my prediction is 2-1. What do you think? Oh, God, James, me and you are going to be sounding alike because I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Well, no. As I say, we haven't. We uh, we can just be honest with listeners. We spoke about what we were thinking, and it's never in the case of uh, trying to copy. You know, sometimes we don't agree at all. But yeah. it's all about having fun and providing something different. You know, we've been doing this uh, pod for uh, completing coming up to our first full season, which we're absolutely delighted about. And for me, it's always about letting the listeners know something they didn't know before. And they could send us a few more questions if they wanted to. Maybe they're a little bit shy. But uh, do you care to have a uh, score prediction on this game, Scott? I'm, I'm thinking 2-1 as well. Um, I will say that Chelsea will be might underestimate them. But I won't be surprised if Frank Burt just, just blitz them and then Chelsea will get one back be uh, very interesting when I look at their squad you know Anthony Rebic Sebastian Haller Yedlo uh, Willems who was uh, was often criticised here in the Netherlands but appears to have found a home because when he was at PSV he was part of a team that won the won Eredivisie but was always you know people questioned his, his work rate and um, it's just a very very good Jonathan de Guzman who also has a um, a um, uh, passed here at final and also the goalkeeper Frederik Elena I managed to interview um, uh, one of the Danish players Frederik Helstrup uh, who's playing in uh, in Poland for Gdansk um, and he was telling me about their, their time together in the national setup at youth level and about he's an absolutely tremendous goalkeeper and, and I think he's really underrated really I do and it'll be really interesting to see what happens and I just think you know uh, as we've been saying when focusing on the Europa League this season, you know, there's always one club that reaches the final, which nobody expects. You know, last year was Marseille, year before was Ajax, 2016. You could have made a case for Liverpool in uh, Klopp's debut season and, and that kind of thing. Uh, Dnipro against Seville in Warsaw, I believe, in 2015, mm. I think it was. And um, I think this year it's going to be Frankfurt. And I also believe that um, I think they'll win it. I think they'll win the whole entire comp- uh, tournament, which will be a great coup for them. I think it will be the first um, time they win the UEFA Cup since 1987, if memory serves me cor- uh, correctly. So that will be a nice feather in their cap. 
and also they are in the race for the top four in the Bundesliga. Yeah, but I think I think German clubs, European clubs, can learn an awful lot about how German of clubs go in, go into Europe and, and, and enjoy Europe, you know, and enjoy everything it's got to offer. Don't don't go into it and wilt like a flower, you know. Burnley prioritised their Premier League survival ahead of a Europa League run. Qualifying. That's... Well, what you go? What are you in it for then? I mean, they were very, they were very nearly knocked out by. Aberdeen, I think they were underestimated by Istanbul Basak's year, and then they were taken to, taken to task by Olympiakos, and that just goes to show. But uh, very, very interesting, and uh, we shall discuss all the fallout of this, Scott, and a potential look to, ahead to the second legs next week. What do you reckon to that? Yep, completely agree. Okay, great stuff. Uh, finally, Scott, would you like to tell the listeners about your um, plug for your... Um, article about Spal, yeah. which you was telling me about earlier. Yeah, so um, I got back into writing on my blog WordPress account. Um, I thought, yeah, <laughs> um, I took a little break and just thought I'd monitor it here and then. And I thought, why not? Why not just give it a go? Stop um, like putting it away and putting it at ease. So I thought, um, do one about Spal. Um, this season's their second season in Serie A and just about six, seven weeks ago they were looking at a potential drop to Serie B but their form has been sensational. Um, they drew it the weekend against Genoa but in their previous six games they've won five and lost one. So they they lost their way at Cagliari but they've beaten both Roma, both Lazio, Frosinone, um, Juventus and then just over Easter they beat Empoli 4-2 and yeah, they're they're looking to hit the forty points and a potential top ten finish, which did not seem likely to happen maybe six to eight weeks ago. Yeah, it just goes to show how quickly things can change. And uh, you wanted to make a, a quick plug about Bologna, I believe. Yeah, as well. I'm looking to write about Bologna this week, who have been doing the same sort of thing uh, under Sanisa Mihailovic. They did have Pippo Inzaghi as their manager for like the first four to four to six months of the season and they were really struggling they were not scoring any goals at all but it looks like the the chains have been released under Mihailovic it didn't start off well for him uh, if my memory serves me right they lost their first four or five games but ever since early March they've been fantastic and Spau and Bologna have been the most informed teams in Serie A over the last six games very interesting. I have uh, contact with the press officer of Bologna regarding speaking to Mitchell Dykes, but I think that's going to happen next season, I believe, but we'll just have to keep an eye on it. Finally, Scott, would you like to tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you on Twitter? Yeah, it's uh, at Scott underscore Munro. Okay, and the followers can get in touch with me at, at James Rowe NL. We'd like to thank you for listening, and we'd like you to join us next week for our preview of the second legs. And uh, stay tuned because we've got a few end-of-season podcasts coming up to celebrate our first full season of the Man on the Post mm. European Football Podcast. We're very proud of what we're doing. You know, we're not the biggest, but we are the best, aren't we, Scott? Woo-hoo. Yeah, we're nearly at the end of the season, so there'll be some uh, favourite games, favourite moments, and maybe some yeah. end-of-season awards. Yeah, maybe. Then we're going to have a look at that. So we'd like to thank you for joining us and finally like to uh, point you in the direction of all Man on the Post um, Podcast Network. Podcast featuring the likes of uh, Man on the Post Extra Time and Unusual Efforts. There's really something for everybody. And we'd like to leave you this evening by 
uh, letting you know to remember to remember to always keep your man on the post.